Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. Thank you for joining us today. I very much appreciate you stepping in and, and having a conversation with us. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host, and we are so grateful to have the opportunity to speak to you. I want to tell you guys how to uh, join us um, and also share our show. You can go to thehousinghour.com, which is the mothership of all of our information, the treasure trove. And you can share our past series, our current show, past shows. We'd love for you to go check it out. Um, you can also find us on facebook.com slash thehousinghour at the housing hour on Twitter and at Mark, Dr. Mark Pinterest, on, <laughs> Dr. Mark Griffith on Pinterest, a big time pinner for us. Um, anyways, thank you for joining us. And this show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. In studio with us is the good doctor, Dr. Mike Simpson from the University of Tennessee. He is a professor, teaches um, there, as well as uh, what are you a scientist? Is that what you? What, what would sure. you? Well, let's say that. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> this show. This show. I guess. Yeah. Last show. You were medical. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. Exactly. And what? What? Tell us for the listeners out there. What do you do at ORNL? It has to do with nanoscience. I know that much. Right. Yeah. So I'm at the Center for Nanophase Material Sciences, which is one of the DOE um, nanoscale science research centers, and my work is in nanobiosciences. So. Think about small materials that interface with living things. Mm, so kind of like uh, Ant-Man. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what I do. <laughs> that is incredible. Um, well, we decided to call a show uh, in because we were, I don't remember if it was the last time he was here, but we started to talk about technology and how it was that technology has such has has taken the fast track to use a mortgage investor group term um, to where we are today. And you talked about this law that you had been. You, I mean, it's a common yeah. thing. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Open so us. I was driving around uh, with a new loan officer that we hired, uh-huh. Lane Gonzalez, uh-huh. and uh, we were in Johnson City. We were just talking, you know, as we were driving around to visiting different sites. And um, I mentioned to him, we were talking about a lot of different things, but I mentioned to him, it just amazes me how far we've come as a society and civilization uh, where I can remember my grandfather telling me of, you know, just having a horse to be able to go to school on, you know, back in the in the 20s or teens, actually. He was born in 1903, my grandfather. And I just said, it amazes me how far we've come on technology uh, to where we are today. And he looked at me and he goes, oh, what you're talking about is the Moore's Law. And I'd never heard of it before. And this was Lane. Dr. Lane Gonzalez? Yeah, Dr. <laughs> Lane Gonzalez. He's not so, a doctor. And I said, oh, that'll make a great show. There is such a thing. So I looked it up, and sure enough. So Dr. Simpson? Well, before before we go to him, yeah. I, I want to ask this because we've seen different revolutions in different industries in order for the – I guess the industry to progress, right? So in many different, you know, outlets, you can look at technology being one of them. Technology has always been on the forefront of having the best technology. I know that sounds silly, but let me explain. It's true. They have always utilized the technology that had been created and found ways to implement those into their environment. 
So just using mortgages as an example, it, it's a lagging industry in terms of using technology. So that's it's not necessarily a part of um, the, the, the discussion where we're going to end, but I think it could be from where we start because or it could be from where we end because there's a lot of technology out there, but not every industry uses it to its fullest. So, you know, we've come so far and some so quick. How did we get to this point, Dr. Simpson, where you were on horse, buggy, and carriage so many years ago, and now we have cars that drive themselves? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you ask easy questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, um we're going to have to we're going to have to delve into a concept that's called exponential growth. Uh-huh. So exponential growth is um, you know if you if you had the kind of uncles I had you learned this really at a young age because I had an uncle that would always do this joke about would you rather get paid a hundred dollars a day for a month or would you rather get a penny today and then two pennies tomorrow and four pennies after that right mm. and the answer to that question is is you'd rather have the start with the penny and get get it doubled every day because by the 30th day, by the last day of the month, they would owe you $10 million. Wow. Okay. So that's exponential growth, right? And that's, and the thing about exponential growth is it has kind of two phases, the invisible phase and then the blow up phase. So those first, those first few days of the pennies, those first 15, 14, 15 days of getting it doubled every day, it doesn't look like a whole lot of money. And then suddenly it looks like a whole lot of money really fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's what's happened with technology. And that's what Moore's law was. Moore's law was basically saying that the number of transistors on an integrated circuit, a computer chip, would double when he first said it would double every year. Later he backed up and said it's going to double every two years. Okay. So what that meant was, was every time a new Intel made a new microprocessor, it was a whole lot more powerful than the microprocessor they had made before because it had so many more transistors on it. And then the computer could do so much more than it had done before. And so it just it just got to the point where it just blew up, right? So, Mark, you might remember the first computers that came out, first personal computers. You remember the thing we called the Trash 80? Right. Which could barely do anything at yeah. all. Was that the compact Oh, that was uh, the or compact was about the same time. I think the Trash Eighty was a Radio Shack oh, uh, computer. Right. Yeah, that's the right. Trash. How Eddie. much more um, power does my smartphone have? Oh, that would have oh. that that would have been you know the super, the most super of supercomputers at the time. Your right. your cell phone right now, mm-hmm. um, especially since it's an Apple. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we know now we'll know what stock you're on right now. So so the reason that 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 you've seen this sort of like, wow, you know, they were riding horses and then, oh, look, they got cars and, oh, look, you know, now there's a few TVs and homes and, and, and then suddenly it's like, boom, it all blows up was because of exponential growth. That's so. tremendously fascinating to me because yeah. why, so the discovery of the transistor, so, so you said that the transistors doubled, is that what you said? The number of transistors okay. that you could put on a, Chip. Chip. Okay, so let's back up one moment to what a transistor is. Okay. Because I think that's important um, for you. It's probably business as usual for mm-hmm. me. So I'm trying to con- conceptualize and understand it. What is a transistor? So, so you know computers work with ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. They work on, they work, I know they, now. They use, they use <laughs> binary math, right? Okay. So computers work with ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. A transistor is a thing that can either be in a one or a zero. 
And so it's a. Teeny I feel like I'm in a zero right now. You're, go you're ahead. Zero, yeah. <laughs> so it's a teeny tiny little thing on a on a chip, which can switch between that one state and that zero state. Mm-hmm. And so for every, you know, you're probably used to bits and bytes and kilobytes and mm. megabytes and things like that. You need a transistor for each one of those. For each megabyte? No, for each byte. For each byte. Yeah. Well, actually, for each bit. Okay. So, so which is which is even below like yeah. a kilobyte. Yeah, well, a bit is just a single, it's one thing that can be either a zero or a one. Mm. So a byte is eight of those. Oh, okay. A kilobyte is a thousand bytes. So how much did this trash, whatever you called it, how many bytes did it have? Oh, I don't even remember now. Zero. You know, how many? <laughs> Maybe. You know, it, but it had to have at least had one. It, it, it depends on what you meant by that, right? Right. Because we could talk about, we could talk about, you know, the different kinds of memory and all of that sort of stuff. But Right. But these were very non-functional i mean they they would do the most the simplest math and and it was mostly math right Mm -hmm. mostly when computers first came out they mostly did math math. that's right okay and well um, the calculator would be representative of like one of the first computing power and the and the big difference between computers of those days and calculators of those days is a computer could be programmed in a calculator, you had to sit there and punch the buttons. So you were the programmer. You were well. You weren't even really the programmer. You were the program. You were the program. <laughs> you were the right, program right. right at that point for the calculator. Now yeah. later, the calculators got programmable, but right. But but the computers mostly did math. Mm-hmm. The idea that they were really going to be telecommunication devices didn't come along till much later. Mm-hmm. It, what date are you talking about generally? Oh well, you know, it was when these things happened gradually, happened gradually over the eighties and nineties, right? That that they went from being more of math machines to being more telecommunication things. I rem- I remember when the first word processing programs came out, and they were clunky and what, what was it? Oh well, you know, there were things that ran on VAX machines, oh. which were before personal computers, right? There was a thing called runoff and things like that. Uh, there's one that's still in use, LaTeX that people still use, which is kind of uh, a descendant of those. But so 1970, it says the Intel 4004. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what that means, but it was at the bottom left hand of this call of this, yeah. of this graph yep. because it was talking about number of transistors right. and then it has the years going past it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too small for you to see unless you have your glasses with you. <laughs> I, I, I do. <laughs> That's Moore's law too, but no, I'm kidding. But the, the fact is you can look at it. It's just from Wikipedia and, and my big thing on that, the reason to bring up that graph is because the Pentium Pro, the Pentium, the Intel, all of these, they hold the, the transistors, I'm assuming, is what that is. But we're, we're starting off elementary, and we're going to take it now to middle school when we get back from these uh, messages because I, wanna, I wanted people to understand what a transistor was because I think it's important to the conversation, and it'll help us. I think when we get into this next segment and we start to understand what this Moore's Law is all about. Guys, join us again right after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour again, Kevin Ray. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. We have with us Dr. Mike Simpson joining us, talking about uh, Moore's Law and talking about technology. And we want to remind you to go to thehousinghour.com to find out more information about our guest about our show. You can find past shows, current shows, 
We'd love for you to interact with us um, on our new website, thehousinghour.com. And we were talking in the first segment about what a transistor is. And then we were talking about Moore's Law, how um, the doctor, was it? Was he a doctor? <laughs> you know, <laughs> he I, may have been. So Gordon Moore is still alive. He's 91. Wow. He's 91 now. And Holy he cow. Was, um, and, you know, he wrote, a, he wrote a textbook. He actually wrote a semiconductor physics textbook. So I'm mm-hmm. going to say yes. I think he did get a Ph.D. at Caltech. Mm-hmm. I think he got a Ph.D. in chemistry, if I'm remembering that correctly. That's impressive. But okay. you've got, I think you've got Wikipedia up, so you can look him up really right. quick and check me on that. <laughs> I will in a second. It's it's the go-to. It's, yeah. it's not the fake news that, yeah. that people talk about. Um, but the hi- history of transistors, because... You know, we have now where we were just sitting here just a moment ago before the show, and I was controlling the lights, you know, the color of the lights in our, in, in our office here using Wi-Fi. You know, it was um, a Wi-Fi to my Alexa app, to my um, Alexa Pro out there that it acts as a hub, and it was changing the, the, the light, and then there's 10, 15 million light combinations that it can make. So we've come far for the transistor capability, like the phone that I have in my hand would have been the, the superest computer, if that's not even a word, of, yeah. of, of 1972, right? All right. Um, but you were beginning to talk at the end of the segment of how it was that the transistors began, to, the, the beginning, I guess, of them getting more and making them smaller and all of that. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that um, has taken off and now we're able to have computers like the supercomputer that we have out here in Oak Ridge if I'm not mistaken it's the fastest computer in the world or does China hold that well so that so you when you hold that title mm-hmm. um, you hold it very briefly right because you get surpassed by the next one that comes along right. pretty fast so I don't think it is presently mm-hmm. you know number one the guy that always puts together the list the 500 fast is is Jack, Jack Dongera who's a professor at University of Tennessee okay and he's uh, he's famous for putting together that list and I did not check it before yeah. I came over here so I don't actually know who is first right but but summit which is the one that they have at Oak Ridge right now is certainly you know in that top tier. So that, that supercomputer, let's mm-hmm. let's compare that supercomputer, and then we'll talk about the nuts and bolts of technology and how that, because um, I just explained this Alexa and how it controls the lights in the room, and, you know, it does so many other things. And that's just a basic thing that it does. That doesn't take a lot of, you know, memory to do those type of things. But when you look at the computer that we started with back in 19, I mean, the transistor was created, according to this, in 1948. Um, by Bell Telephone Laboratories. The invention of the transistor was an unprecedented development in the electronics industry. The three physicists who invented the transistor, William Shockley, John Bardeen, and Walter Bratton. <laughs> well, not even Bratton. Britain. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, so looking back on that, mm-hmm. and now looking at this supercomputer, super mm-hmm. um, how did we make the leap? I mean, I, I, I think I understand what you're, where you went in the last segment, but help me understand a little further that. So if you actually had looked up the picture of that first transistor, so that came out of Bell Labs in 1947, mm-hmm. there were actually, by the way, there were transistors before that. They invented, at that point, what they invented was what's called the bipolar transistor, mm-hmm. which is not the transistor we use in computers. That's today. what Mark uses. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's got medicine for that. <laughs> but, okay. According to his... Uh, his yeah. 
Chinese. Never but mind. but if you'd looked at if you'd looked that transistor up, if you'd looked the picture up, you'd see that one transistor was big. You could see it. You could see it with the naked eye. Mm-hmm. Okay, the transistors we make now, you need an electron microscope to see a single transistor. Okay. Whoa. So thank you for that. That yeah. helps me a lot. Right. So the biggest difference that's been made is is how small we can make individual transistors and how tightly together we can pack them. And so if we had made a computer out of that first transistor by wiring together a bunch of those transistors, you know, we would be lucky to get something that was was even just a calculator. Right. And it would take up, you know, the, the original computers, the first computers would, and by the way, the first computers were actually made with vacuum tubes. So not transistors, but vacuum tubes. And the first transistors would take up whole buildings, right? Whole right. rooms. My father-in-law worked on them at the yeah. at Oak Ridge Lab in Manhattan Project. So, yeah, and I mean, these were, um, you, you know, the thing that actually broke the Enigma code? You know, you know the Enigma code? That was the code that, yes, the, that right. the Germans used. Right. Oh, right, II. right, right, yes. And, you know, they actually, they... they There's a great movie on that. Yeah, Turing. yeah, it's, you know, so Turing, Turing was the guy who... Right. Mm-hmm you know, came up with the machine that broke the Enigma code. It was a computer, and it was made out of relays. So it was made out of vacuum tubes and relays. Mm-hmm. And um, so those were the original computers. And like like I said, they were all for doing computation. They were all for doing math for mm-hmm. the most part is what they did. The invention of the transistor and eventually the, the invention of what's called CMOS technology, C-M-O-S, CMOS technology, is what guide us on the path to making more and more powerful computer chips. Yeah, because I think of CMOS and and cameras. You talk about the, what's that's the size. Camera. So CMOS. that's right. So C- what's the size of your right. CMOS chip or whatever? Right. And so that was that actually, sensor. That actually, sensor they call that it. actually came later. Okay. So so the the CMOS chip for doing computing came first, mm-hmm. and then the idea that you could do imaging with these these CMOS devices came later. Mm. And, of course, that was the big breakthrough that put cameras on your phone, uh, was being able to do uh, CMOS cameras. Yeah. And, uh, and it, was, it was a side, it was a spinoff of, of the computer chip industry. Mm-hmm. Turned into a big spinoff, right? right? It was a really big idea. <laughs> yeah. Now, a lot of the supercomputers today use a technology called GPU. Mm-hmm. which is a graphic processing unit. Yeah, the new Apple computer has some pretty powerful, but it's not them that makes the GPU. It's another company that they put in their computer. Right. And so the big thing about GPUs were they were made for games. They were made for mm. gaming devices. Right. And, but they just turn out to be really fast at a particular kind of operation. Mm-hmm. And so now most of the supercomputers or a lot of the supercomputers are using these things in their very fast computations. Now the super the the gaming computers that you spoke of, because these GPUs, um, a lot of people who edit f- video footage of you know like edit just a you know four K video, they've got to have these very powerful GPUs to be able to do what they do. Uh, large movie sets or lot you know large movie companies that are making high end like you know movies. They have to have the computing power that is just unfathomable because they're using this 4K raw footage and you know putting that together. You try, and, and, but now what I was getting point the computer that I have over there is a very powerful computer, um, my MacBook Pro, and it can do a lot of these things that even five years ago you could not have done. So what I've seen even in the last five years 
his computing power has enhanced tremendously. Right. Well, you're on the, you're, you, you know, when I was talking about exponential growth yeah. earlier, I tell you that there was kind of the really, you know, sort of the almost below the radar phase. Uh-huh. And then there's the blow up phase where right. everything just takes off. Well, we're, we're well into the blow up phase, right? We're, we're, we're well into that, you know, mid rise of, of the exponential part of the curve. Another example, another example, um, Mike, is this phone that I have, for instance, and, and it's all of our phones, but you had the BlackBerry, and this was only 2006. It, the, the, first of all, it didn't take pictures, but when it could, it wasn't a picture. I don't know what it was. It was like somebody at the Etch-A-Sketch trying to do something. But then you had the iPhone. Remember, the iPhone didn't have a video camera. In 2007, it did not have a video camera. Mm-hmm. That didn't come out until 2009. And now I have 4K footage that I can record from the front camera and the back camera. I have three different cameras. Mm-hmm. One's a telephoto, one's a wide angle, and one's a standard. It's a 1.7 aperture, which is better than, frankly, my Canon 5D Mark III, which is a $3,000 um, camera back when I bought it. So that goes to what you're saying. Yeah, and well, actually, so there was a lot of technological breakthroughs that made that happen, right? And those weren't all Moore's Law driven. Mm-hmm. So okay. there was a lot of micro machining and all kinds of things that went into being able to do all the accessories that would get those optical signals into your CMOS camera mm-hmm. and do all the lensing and kinds of things that you were talking about. Once you turned it into a digital thing, once your image was turned into a digital thing, that's where the Moore's Law Gotcha. started to pick up because that allowed you to process and move bits around and change things and edit and things like that. And you had, you had at least two or three different other things that were happening, right? So we were getting more transistors onto chips and then, then we were getting better and better at coding. So better and better yeah. at software. Yeah. And people were learning how to use all of these transistors more efficiently to move information around and process information compress information that was right. a big breakthrough too yeah i think that's fascinating because i'm all i'm always learning i'm trying to learn more and more about um you know how you store video footage and the amount of um space that you find on these computers these days has actually sometimes went down because of the cloud technology and also having these external hard drives we'll talk more about that and much more with dr mike simpson and mark griffith we'll be right back Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. Thank you for joining us again. We're here with Mark Griffith, executive producer and co-host, as well as Dr. Mike Simpson. Uh, We've been talking about uh, transistors and we've been talking about technology and how technology has really just grown considerably over the last you know 100 years 50 years whatever the case is and how moore's law had a lot to do with that his whole idea that you could double i think he said what was it every two every two years he originally said every year every year 1965 paper he said every year and then a couple years later he came back and said every two years and you mentioned um i think in the last segment that 
uh, we've sort of slow started Moore's law, I guess, has not, not went away, but it started to pivot to something different, maybe. Well, we're having a hard time keeping up with the two year doubling at this point, right? right. So if you if you Googled it right now, you'd find there's different opinions on whether we're gonna fall off of it or if we're gonna find some new way through. So But even so Gordon Moore himself thinks we're about to fall off of okay. it. Okay. So how I mean, how do you create a transistor that's only seen can't be seen to the human eye? Is it done with I don't get so, that. So you use a thing called lithography. lithography you said that. Right. Okay. Lithography is a way that you print, mm-hmm. that you print uh, patterns onto silicon. Mm-hmm. And when we originally did lithography, we did it with visible light, so light you could see. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we went to light you couldn't see, so it was ultraviolet light. And now we're in ultra, you know, ultra, ultraviolet light, so we're beyond extreme ultraviolet light, so we're beyond ultraviolet light. And we're using x-rays, and we're using electrons, and we're using things like that that you can make smaller and smaller features with. Mm. All right. So, well, we were talking off air, and this is where we want to go. Because like in, I guess, before the 1900s, we, and, and this is your words, not mine, but you mentioned, I think, um, that there was this concept that people felt like we might be coming to the end of physics as we know it because we thought we could maybe at some point discover everything about the physical world. But then that really was debunked, and we found this whole other part of physics, right? So so I don't know if debunked is the way I would say it, but th- mm-hmm. this is right now when you teach physics, you teach two kinds of physics. You teach what we call classical physics or Newtonian physics. So this was physics basically um, things that were based on what we knew from Newton, mm-hmm. right? and we just followed those out, right? Right. And then there is a new kind of physics that came along in the early 1900s that's now called modern physics. And it started with understanding things like particle wave duality. So understanding that light acts both like a particle and like a wave and like electrons act both like particles and like waves. Mm -hmm. This led, eventually led, and that's what Einstein got his Nobel Prize in, by the way. A lot of people think Einstein got his Nobel Prize for relativity, but he didn't. He got it for the photoelectric effect. Mm. which um, was was an understanding that light comes in little packets called photons. Wow. And that they can act both like a wave and like a particle. Mm-hmm. Is that how we got the jumbotron? <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually it is how we got the jumbotron. See? <laughs> okay. So we got, a, you know, because once again, I mean, this is a, a semiconductor-based technology. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so there were there were a bunch of physicists then in the early 1900s who started to wonder why do things behave the way they do? Mm-hmm. Why why do we get these kinds of properties in metals? Why do we get these kinds of properties in semiconductors? Um, why do electrons do funny things? Mm-hmm. And so they invented quantum mechanics. Okay. And then from quantum mechanics, we started to understand what is called band theory in semiconductors. And from understanding band theory and semiconductors, we learned how to make transistors. And before we had transistors, we had vacuum tubes. Ah, so when was the semiconductor invented? Oh. Or discovered, whatever it is. Yeah, so people started to understand semiconductors in the the 20s and 30s and 40s. Okay. Right, understand why electrons did the things they do in semiconductors. And that's where you feel, that's where, because we were able to create them and using this, um, what'd you call it, lagography? Lithography. Lithography. Yeah. Um, so so semiconductors yeah. is what was the next um, vehicle used to get us to this next phase? 
Well, so semiconductor, so lithography is something that's used on semiconductors, right? So right. lithography is a way you pattern a semiconductor. Mm-hmm. Semiconductors themselves were a material that that had certain electrical properties we didn't clearly understand. Okay. And then quantum mechanics allowed us to understand those electrical properties. Okay. Which then allowed us to use lithography to build transistors. Mm-hmm. Now, I see the biggest increase in technology, and this may just be from because I've I've seen it, it take these these leaps and bounds is through telecommunications mm-hmm. and also through um, technology around personal computers and cellular phones. But the thing as a, as just a regular old guy that I don't understand is that it's much bigger than that. Like that's what I see. I see the LED TVs. I see the LCD TVs. I, you know, the plasma when they came out. I see the now, what's the new one, the QLD where it's light. It's very interesting in how the, the blacks are true blacks. And all that probably all comes back to what you're talking about. Well, those are new materials. So uh-huh. a lot of what you're seeing there, especially in the big flat panel display area, yeah. you're seeing new materials that are being brought to bear. So most of those aren't silicon. They're other materials, yeah. even organic materials right? in some cases. So yes. OLEDs, the organic yes. light emitting devices. Um, so those those are new materials, and so the big breakthroughs there are the new materials and the fact that you're able to do very uniform manufacturing over a very large area. Mm-hmm. Those were the big breakthroughs that made these big, huge displays possible. And that's another example yeah. of how technology just has ramped up. Right. Plasma TVs in 2003, and now look what we have. Right. Well, and you, you do have to understand that these things are connected, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I... Um, the first computers gave you a tool that allowed you to divine, to design the next computers, the next generation computers, which gave you more powerful computers, which then gave you the tools to design the third generation computers. So every time a new generation of computers was built and designed and functional, you had more ability to develop more powerful computers because you had better tools to start with. Same thing for every other technology. You could make pure semiconductors. You could start to investigate the properties of organic light-emitting devices. You could start to um, use computers to do simulations for drugs, and so drugs could be discovered more more quickly. Everything that needed... Not those kind, Mark. Not, yeah, not, <laughs> not the recreational drugs, Mark. <laughs> but, but everything that needed computing power to make it take the next step could take the next step faster every time better computers came along. Right. So it accelerated technology development in every area. Mm-hmm. And then that t- a lot of those technology developments would come back and feed in to making the computers more powerful in the next generation. So every generation just expanded and expanded and expanded because it was coming from a better and better place mm-hmm. every time. But this is our history and culture as a human race, right? From the beginning of time, if we learn to do something and mm-hmm. produce something, then we learn a better process to make it better, and it, that grows. It's like the invention of the printing press. Ah, yeah. Right? right. I mean, Spaceship this is, Earth at, at uh, Epcot. Have you ever right. written it? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so once you had the printing press, then you could start to widely disseminate the information. Yeah, that was revolutionary. Right. Yes. And so that just changed everything. So everything moved a little faster 
because of the printing press, right? People could collaborate maybe right. more. Right. Yeah, you can yeah. publish. Socrates could right. do his thing. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. <laughs> printing press was a little Before, after yeah, Socrates. Right, right. But yeah, okay. <laughs> True. Wait, I, was, I must have rode the ride backwards. <laughs> but, but he was talking, that was actually the spoken word right. and how then it became the written right. word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, if you even think about it, if you think, if you think about sort of the, the uh, journey through school, that when you go from the first, you know, before you've had kindergarten, right, you don't have any tools to learn. So in kindergarten, all they can do is teach you the bare basics. Right. But in first grade, you've got some tools, and they can start to teach you a little more than the bare basics. Emily Gardner right. and Nathan, right. no, Emily Davis and Nathan Gardner could both read right. in kindergarten. So right. just <laughs> shout out to them. But go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> but, you know, and, and of course, and then by the time you get to you know, graduate school and college, they can teach you quantum mechanics. Right. They couldn't have taught you quantum mechanics in the first grade because you didn't have what you needed to learn quantum mechanics mm. in the first grade. But <laughs> yeah. by building one layer at a time, you're, you can you can teach broader and broader and harder and harder topics. Yeah. Same thing with developing computing power. Mm-hmm. Every generation, you can do broader and bigger things because you have broader and more capable tools. Yeah, and and for us to take technology to the next level, I think that. There's got to be, in my mind, there's two things that are important. Number one, utilization, which is, I think, important um, because if there's no utilization, then what ends up happening is there's no expansion because that's where I see these cell phones, you know, people buy these things up and, you know, they have a team of people dedicated. How can we make this this um, phone have a better camera on the front? So that these vloggers, so, I mean, it's utilization, but then secondly, and then this is where in this last segment we'll get to, I think, is how much farther can we stretch the mind or, or the, the physics, I guess you could say. So only a few seconds left, continue with us guys right after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. Can't believe we're already in our last segment here with Dr. Simpson, but I am here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host, myself, Kevin Ray. I want to tell you, you guys can go to thehousinghour.com and learn more about our show, about our guests, about our past shows. Um, Dr. Simpson has his own little series that you can dial up and we've got a variety of shows the simpson um, papers i like that that's right yeah exactly doink, doink, or whatever he said i don't remember what is it that homer said i don't know, I don't know. that was not it um but we do want to let you know that this show is presented by more uh, mortgage investors group you can go to migonline.com learn more and we want to thank them for our sponsorship. So we've been talking about a lot. And I, I think it's fascinating because I didn't know many of the things that we talked about in terms of transistors and Moore's Law and, and where we are and how quantum mechanics is um, modern physics. And that's what's now part of the, the two um, pieces of physics. You have uh, the first one was what? Classical physics. Classical physics. physics and then you have modern physics. I also learned that... Uh, 
Einstein actually received his Nobel Peace Prize, or just, what was it? Just Nobel Prize. Nobel right. Prize. Nobel Prize in physics for the photoelectric effect. Right. Which, so it wasn't relativity. It was not relativity. So no. even though he's known for both. Yeah. Um, so there's been so much, and I'll be going back to this to listen, because you were sp- – you were spitting out a lot of great info that my little mind was trying very hard <laughs> to keep up with. And I saw Mark over there glazed over. <laughs> they were actually circling in my head. <laughs> but it was, I mean, I, I followed the thread of thought, which was important because when we were ending the last segment, I was talking about utilization, which is now down the path of where I be, where we, we began because I was saying, you know, one of the things that drives technology is utilization. Um, how do you think, what part does that play, do you think? Because it doesn't play so much of a part for people like yourself because you guys are the ones introducing technology. Um, we talked, we had a show one time about how the how NASA helped really push technology and helped expand our thoughts of what was possible, right? Yeah, so, I mean, this is a... To me, this is kind of a, t- a tough subject, right? Um, because, you know, sometimes you can take a big step. You know, I, I feel this every time I have to update a software program. Mm. I update a software program and suddenly something I knew how to use, I knew how to use well, suddenly I don't know where any of the buttons are anymore. Right. And it doesn't seem to do the stuff it used to do. It sometimes breaks stuff. Yeah, and it probably actually does more stuff better, but now I'm going to have to go learn it all over again mm. to be able to use it again, right? So you, you can get into this sort of phase where things are changing so fast and updating so fast, it gets in the way of you being able to use it mm-hmm. because that means you have to update. Right. <laughs> you know? We see that in the mortgage business. Yeah. 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 Yep. It, yeah, I, I bet, right, because it's, it's the um, product cycle, cycles and life cycles now are so short. Mm-hmm. I mean, it yeah. used to be a long time, right? I mean, you know, it used to be a big deal when the new model cards would come out in the fall and they were 1% different than last year. Right. Right. You know, but you know, my computer seems to update five times a day Mm -hmm. and it seems like it's constantly updating and then it causes problems, right? Because it's having to constantly update so it doesn't get a virus. Yeah. Even in my, my immediate family, my wife and my two kids, they don't see updating their software as important as I do. And it's just a small example because they're, you know, they don't really see, like there's a little one on your settings that tells you, and it can cause other things to break. And that's what I try to tell my daughter because her phone wasn't operational and I sourced it back to the fact that she was so many updates behind. And so it actually broke the phone. We had to go in and get it fixed. So I think there's this mindset that you eloquently explained that most people feel. And it's like, well, I, I, I'm going to have to update and change. I think change is like the key thing there. You mentioned in mortgages, we have a lot of new technology and, and getting people to embrace and adopt that. It means change. That's like the common denominator, right? But we have a many different pieces of technology that people could consume today to make their lives a lot easier but what the what the big thing that they're going to have to do to get there is to learn the technology. Right. And my dad, for instance, you know, bless his heart, he's a digital immigrant. He's waiting on his passport. He yeah. hasn't got it. Yeah. And if 
I could do four or five different things for him to probably make his life a lot easier, but he would have to be willing to learn it. And you could probably say the same for yourself mm-hmm. and, and even you and I, I mean, even though we're but, digital natives now, you've got your green card. I have a green right. card. Exactly. But, <laughs> but one of the things, the, the other piece of this story mm-hmm. is time. Mm-hmm. I mean, because with these changes, with learning this requires downtime to learn it. Yep. And so sometimes True. we see that not so profitable. Yeah, we, we've, we've become the weak links in the chain, right? That's right. Mm. It's the technology can evolve faster than we can. And you're starting to see that, right? I mean, right. it's stressful. It's stressful to keep up with the technology, to keep all your software updated, to keep everything, you know, new technology comes in to integrate it into your life and into your work. You know what we need? Stressful, right? You know what so, we need? We need to have personal time off, PTO. And then we'd also need technology holidays yep. where we learn new technologies. Literally. I mean, I, I, it's kind of a silly concept, but w- that probably isn't a bad idea. You just say, look, folks, we're going to have everybody is going to, you know, tier this and we're going to have people learn new technologies because it is for a company like us. We know that that's a big obstacle for us. It's an obstacle, but it's an obstacle in everybody's daily life. Mm-hmm. So are we responsible for slowing down the future changes? Could we supply be, and demand? Well, I, d- I don't I don't know that we're that we're slowing anything down. But he's I, never going to agree with one of your thoughts, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but should, I him, should I throw him a bone? <laughs> throw yeah, me a Mark, you're right. right. <laughs> Okay, let me ask. Okay, so are you saying that we've hit a wall or we hit a technology wall? I, I think that it's, it's, we are hitting an area where it's harder for us to make full use out of the technology, right? That the technology moves along at the pace that they can get it out the door. Right? Mm-hmm. Our ability to integrate it into our lives is limited. Right? Yeah, and, that's true. And I think that, that that's some of the things that we're kind of running into. But commercially, is there, uh, I mean, you, you say you get that uh, technology out the door as fast as, you know, they can produce it, mm-hmm. comes out the door. Would they slow down that production if they feel that it's not profitable because people aren't utilizing it? Well, I think they would. Well, we're, we're getting way out of my areas of expertise. Okay. Right? Well, right. So, I, so, so the thing you said, would they slow it down if it's not profitable? Yes, I think they would definitely slow down if it's not profitable. But, you know, they release a new version of, you know, a cell phone. Everybody's got to run out and have it, right? Mm-hmm. Even even if they're not even going to use all of it. Don't point at me. But <laughs> but like the very first iPhone, as an yeah. example, there were lines reported yeah. all over this country. Um, and I, I was not in that line. I was in the, the next line. when he, they He pre-bought through the web. Well, no, not at that point. At the, the very first thing I ever purchased was actually not the iPhone. It was the... Um, it was the sister product that didn't have the phone. It was like the iPod or the iPod Touch is what they called That's it. That's right. The iPod Touch. And guess what? I dropped it in the toilet the very first day I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and I took it back down that they were kind enough that to. iPod Flush. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, but back to what you're saying, the supply and demand part. Guess what? You don't see those same lines now for the the newest iPhone. It's not it's not the same demand that there once was. Now, iPhones are selling at a record pace. People are buying them online. So technology has probably helped with that as well. Everything's in the cloud. So everybody, you, you have your information stored up. You know how to go about ordering it. It shows up on your desk, you know. So 
that's something I think that will help to continue. But also, we only have about a, two minutes. Um, NASA took this new approach in terms of private sector. How does that play in? Because NASA's always been kind of a driver in a lot of ways. Yeah, maybe dual, yeah, dual use. Mil- military did the same thing. Right? Yeah. Once Do you think that's a good thing? Well, I think it was it was a necessary thing. Yeah. I think the idea that you were going to have a separate technology pathway for military and for space, while while the commercial sector was moving at such a fast pace, mm-hmm. they were they were like, we're not going to keep up. We're not going right. to keep up. And so that's when they went to the dual use, sort of like, oh well, we're going to just siphon off of this commercial sector and push things over into the use for you know nasa and the military yeah and and i think that was just a um an economic uh reality Mm -hmm. there was not going to be a separate technology pathway just for them here's what i hope the next steps are for technology i hope and and this is just my thoughts on it is that we have the telecommunications and the vehicle technology begin to merge together so in other words carplay in a lot of cars is one step in that direction where your iPhone becomes your phone, your phone becomes your car in terms of how it utilizes it. And then the Tesla thought process, cars that are autonomous. I think that's where we're going next. We only, I want to give you the last word. We have 15 seconds left. Yeah. So there's reasons to worry about things like that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly one little breakdown in one little system can bring a whole world to a stop. Right. And there's a thing called uh, complexity catastrophe that will have to be thought through as we wire these things together. Wow. And on that note, we want to thank you for coming in. Thank Mark. This has been exciting. We'll see you guys next time right here on The Housing Hour. That's The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also, check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.